What makes a life a good one? Is it the adventure you have? Or the friends you find along the way? Maybe it's pursuing your passion while striving to protect, defend, and save what you believe in every single day. So, what makes a life a good one? In the Coast Guard, we think it's all of the above and more. But you'll have to find out for yourself. Visit GoCoastGuard.com to learn more. We were just talking before we launched into this episode. There's a lot of a lot to discuss this week. You know, we, we have it's it's really a matter of the topics we're not going to get into because there's there is so much to discuss. The main thing we're going to talk about this week is this uh, abortion ruling, or actually the ruling about the main abortion drug that this judge down in Texas has maybe outlawed or, you know, maybe maybe told the FDA that it's no longer uh, legal to approve this drug. But there's a lot of question about what exactly the the impact of his ruling is, because this isn't a matter of, you know, executive official does X. You go out, you know, some activist group goes out, gets an injunction, says, no, 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 you can't do that. We got to work it through the courts because this is something and we, we've we've there's so many there's so many issues to deal with that one of the issues is can Josh pronounce either of the relevant words correctly, the name of the drug or the name of the judge. We just we just uh, I think the judge's name. Well, the judge's name appears to be something like Katz Merrick. But the 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 name looks to be Polish to me. Just the, the 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 letter, the arrangement of letters looks 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 Polish to me. And Polish names, it's how they came up with their uh, phonetic use of the alphabet. It is never pronounced the way that the the the, the letters actually are supposed to be used. Now, Polish people, don't get on my case. I know I'm saying how the alphabet is pronounced in English. In any case, it's a complex topic because there's so many different things going on. In any case, the relevant point, back to the point about injunctions, is that normally, as I said, executive branch official does X. You go into court, you get an injunction, executive branch official has to stop until it gets adjudicated. But in this case, we're talking about a drug that was approved 20 years ago. 20 years ago. So this is not something where you say, hey, hey, before we move too quickly, we have to make sure that everything is 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 correct here. Because again, drugs been on the market for 20 years. And this is not the only drug used for this purpose. I think in most cases, uh, my colleague, uh, Kate, who's been on this story for months, will, will give us the details. But usually these drugs are used uh, a couple drugs together to have the sort of the maximal effect. Um, 
But in any case, this drug has been in use for, uh, has been approved in the United States for 20 years. There is no substantive question about its efficacy or its safety. And I say substantive because, you know, you're going to have these pro-life activists saying that women are dropping dead right and left because they're using this abortion drug. That is not true. Um, But in a legal context, this is a done deal long, long, long ago. And a judge, uh, a trial court judge, doesn't really have much standing or expertise to speak to the issue. But that's a whole other issue tied to this big news story. We've got the substantive question, which is whether or not this drug or combination of two different drugs uh, that provides a very simple way to do a pharmaceutical abortion and is, I believe, accounts for something like half of the abortions in the United States or in that or in that ballpark now. So this isn't for the for for uh, for those of us who who um, you know who, who who am I kidding? For those of us middle-aged men who may not be totally up on you know the latest in in how one uh, gets an abortion, this is not some edge case. This is not some kind of, you know, thing on the margins. This is a very uh, big deal in terms of how people actually get abortions these days. And it's also a big deal because this, in theory, affects red states and blue states. This isn't something you only have to worry about if you live in Alabama. If what this judge in Texas is trying to do actually comes to fruition, it will affect California and New York and, uh, you know, where's another state where people still have rights? I don't know, Illinois? You know, it'll affect, it'll affect people in those states just as much. So we have the substantive issue, which is the ability to get a safe and legal abortion. That is the most important one, but there's a lot of others too. There is also a very complex series of legal questions. The first of which, and again, this is something that that uh, our co-host Kate has been on for months, had a really good story about it, a kind of a, a summing up the whole question story about it, I believe about uh, two, three weeks ago. Uh, forum shopping for a friendly judge is not new. That's as old as the hills. But in the recent corruption of the federal judiciary, Republicans, conservatives have it down to this particular science where you go down to this uh, district court, trial court in Amarillo, Texas, where you have to get a very corrupted Trump appointee. You bring your case there, and that person, most of the time, will just uh, uh, issue an injunction. So not only is it is it is is the uh, act the relevant action enjoined in that little part of Texas or all of Texas or all of the fixed Fifth Circuit, but suddenly this one trial judge down in Amarillo, Texas, changes the law for the entire country. That is not how it's supposed to work. And in a functioning judiciary. There's a solution. The relevant appellate court will say, no, 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 no. You probably can't even do that thing down in your little neck of the woods, but you certainly can't enjoin what's going on around the country. But 
in recent times, the Fifth Circuit, which is a pretty conservative circuit, includes Texas and, and adjoining states, will come in and say, well, OK, well, you know, let's 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 let the process unfold. So you have this process where, again, one trial judge down in Amarillo, Texas, can, in most cases, at least gum things up for a couple of years where something works through the courts. And in most and in many cases, can can change the law permanently because the uh, appellate judges in the Fifth Circuit and often at the Supreme Court will back it up. So substantive question, the legal question, uh, and here I mean the legal in the sense of the complexities of how the court system functions, or in this case, no longer functions. In this particular case, you know, normally the, uh, the, the, uh, the way this unfolds is that an executive branch official does X. Maybe it's the president. Maybe it's a maybe it's a department secretary, and then you go off to the to a court, get an injunction, and stop it while it gets, you know, works its way through the courts. That's what you've had with various Biden administration uh, immigration actions. You had it with uh, President Biden's uh, uh, education loan forgiveness program. But in this case, this is this is something that happened 20 years ago. This is not like a new thing. And again, it's not something, as I mentioned a moment ago, that judges are really supposed to be involved in in this way. The FDA has has um, panels of experts and, and standards that drugs are approved or not approved for. And in this context, the only relevant questions are, is the drug safe and effective? The FDA is not supposed to be signing off on whether it's cool or whether there should be a drug that you should be able to take to induce an abortion. So that's a whole other issue. And then finally, we have the political overlay of this. And there are, it, there are many dimensions of that, but two I want to focus on. The first is on two axes, we are getting so far into this kind of rogue judicial activism that you have a real question. Should anybody, should, should the executive branch, should the relevant agencies accept these rulings? Now, one axis, axis of that is that this is, these are rogue actions in the way that I have uh, uh, described. But in this particular case, there's there's a lot of uncertainty about whether this really applies to the FDA. Does un, does the judge really have the ability to just say, nope, this 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 uh, this drug is no longer available, or is it that in theory the ruling basically commands the FDA to get, give the drug another look? It's it's so far it's it's so far off the um, the accept, accepted paths of judicial review that that is not really clear, and we have the additional fact that uh, there is a contending ruling by another judge, I believe, in the D.C. Circuit, um, who says no, it's not the case. So there are political questions there about what do you what do you go along with from judges uh, misbehaving. Then you have this, a different kind of politics, the political question, which is that this is, 
we we've known that Dobbs was a a, a political loser from the GOP all the way back to that uh, referendum in Kansas in I guess late summer of 2022. We saw it again in the midterm election. We saw it again in this in this Wisconsin judicial uh, election that happened uh, roughly a week ago. I guess was it last a week ago Tuesday? I think um, you know. That hugely, hugely consequential race, it wasn't even close. The the liberal de facto Democrat just swamped the other guy. And now you have, you know, one judge down in the in, in Amarillo, Texas, saying, All right, we've already basically outlawed abortion in red states. Let's do it in blue states now. So you have all these different dimensions of it. We're gonna talk about all that and we're gonna to try to get to a few other issues. Uh, we have these these ousters of these of uh, these state representatives down in Tennessee, which is obviously tied into the uh, gun, the you know the ever present gun question in this in this country. Why this country is addicted to guns? Why this constantly happens? And uh, this mixture of racial and generational conflict that you see playing out. One of the one of the ousted representatives has now been reappointed. And again, you know, sort of it's like kind of the equivalent of a special election. Uh, the, the relevant local authority can reappoint. And I believe the second one is about to be reappointed right now. And then finally, and we'll, I don't even know if we'll get to this, but uh, Bob Casey in Pennsylvania has, has confirmed that he is running for reelection. Uh, that was assumed generally, but it wasn't official. And that's a pretty big deal because uh, with Bob Casey running again, that seat looks pretty safe for Democrats. Not not an absolute, but like you know, that's 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 probably in hand. Uh, if Casey had not run, then it becomes more of you know more of an open question. So a lot to discuss. Before we do, let me remind you that the Josh Marshall podcast is brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. We're finally in spring. You know, today at least where I'm recording, it's supposed to be like eighty degrees today. So finally, yeah. you know, this Same back, here. yeah, this back and forth, uh, winter, winter, summer thing is, is seemed to be maybe coming to an end. Uh, Grady's cold brew makes it easy to brew hot or cold with their famous bean bags. Toss a bag and a coffee machine to brew a pot of rich and smooth hot coffee or make it the classic cold brew method in the fridge and enjoy a glass on ice. Hot or cold, you'll love the irresistible flavor of Grady's New Orleans style coffee. Ready to give it a swirl? Get 25% off at Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. That's Grady'sColdBrew.com with promo code TPM. Okay, Kate Riga, you are the one who actually understands all this stuff that I was just yammering on about. Uh, so I've, I've given us an overview. Why don't you actually tell us what's going on? Yeah, so let's just take it from Friday night, which is when these dueling opinions came out. So basically, we have been expecting the Texas ruling from the beginning, you know, like you laid out, Josh, this group of anti-abortion doctors who brought the case in the first place incorporated in Amarillo, where Merrick's courtroom is right after Dobbs for this purpose. Uh, so it was more of a matter of, you know, when versus if. So we get that opinion on Friday, which is just I mean, it's chock full of anti-abortion language. He he says abortionists. He doesn't say, you know, embryos or fetuses. He says unborn human or unborn child, which is shorthand for the, the fetal personhood theory, which considers, you know, all abortion murder of a child. Um, 
And, you know, he relies on blog posts as his kind of factual basis for the danger of Mifepristone. So, I mean, the whole thing is as kind of hackish as we expected. But there we go. He handed that down. He put his stay on a seven-day delay to give the Biden administration time to appeal. 20 minutes after that comes down, we get a ruling out of federal court in Washington. In this separate case, a bunch of Democratic attorneys general are trying to get these restrictions that have been on Mifepristone from the beginning, which medical organizations have long said are just political and not related to the the riskiness of the drug. They've been trying to get that lifted in a, in a kind of a separate effort to make the drug more accessible. And so the judge in that case basically kind of bats their attempt to make it easier to get down. He says, no, the FDA, you just have to maintain the status quo. So you have to keep it at the availability level that it's at now in these blue states that are part of the lawsuit. So then we have this kind of immediate question mark contradiction because you've got the Texas ruling, which is going to you know, potentially, again, this is where the questions you were talking about come in, Josh, but potentially revoke the FDA approval of Mifepristone. And then you have another judge saying, no, FDA, you have to keep this drug on the market in these states. You have to keep it available as it's it's always been. Now, what were the, just just so we can understand, Mm -hmm. what were the loosened restrictions that the litigants in in the, it's D.C., Washington, D.C., not Washington State, right? No, it's Washington State. Oh, it is Washington Mm -hmm. State. Okay, my bad. Um, So, Stuff like for a long time, you could only get mifepristone basically at an abortion clinic. Like you had to get it prescribed in person. The Biden administration lifted some of that. You can now get it through the mail. Uh, You can get it from certified pharmacies. But these guys are saying like this should be like any other drug. You shouldn't have to have a specially certified pharmacist, right? You should be able to get it just anywhere, lift all the restrictions. Were they asking for it not even to require a doctor's prescription or just that kind of you're just your GP can just write you a GP. prescription? Got right. it. Okay. Yep. That's right. Um, okay. So we have these two things come out and then it's just like frantic flurry because the Biden administration wants to get Caxmeric, the Texas decision paused while it goes through the appellate process to keep the drug available while this is going on, um, which is what they directly appealed to the Fifth Circuit to get saying, look, just put this on pause. We'll litigate this. We're going to, you know, we know this is going to end up at the Supreme Court, but just kind of mitigate the damage for now. So that's what we're waiting on tenterhooks for now, the Fifth Circuit to rule on that emergency motion to stay the lower court opinion. Now, knowing the Fifth Circuit intimately, like we do. We know that the odds are they probably won't agree to stay the decision because talk about right wing hacks, the circuit's full of them. So if they say no and either do the whole hog, we're upholding his decision or just we're going to let his decision go into effect while this is litigated, the Biden administration will then go to the Supreme Court with that emergency motion saying, "Okay, can you put this guy's opinion on pause while we fight over this? And here's where like things get really interesting, because usually you'd be like Supreme Court abortion case. okay, you know, you don't have to be a brilliant legal scholar to know how they're probably going to come down on this one. But the Kaxmeric decision is so riddled with enormous procedural questions that don't even really have much to do with abortion itself that 
it might be enough for even this fundamentally anti-abortion Supreme Court to knock it down. And here's kind of what that is. This group of anti-abortion doctors, they don't prescribe mifepristone. They don't uh, take it themselves. Their injury, you know, you have to prove that you are in some way harmed by this. Their injury is the hypothetical future possibility that they may have to treat patients who are having adverse reactions to mifepristone and basically end up in the emergency room. Now, of course, the counter to that is we've had 20 years of knowing that doesn't happen, that this is a really safe drug, that adverse reactions are rare, and that complications happen less with this drug than it does with Tylenol. But that is their injury. And that was enough for him to give them standing. And then coupled with the fact that they're bringing this uh, challenge 20 years after FDA approval, when the law is, you can only challenge federal agency action within a statute of limitations of six years after the agency action just sets the stage for every FDA drug approval to be challenged by virtually anyone if you can prove this kind of hypothetical tangential connection to the drug. And we already have drugs that have well-established communities of opponents, right? You know, vaccines, uh, contraception, you know, PrEP, like HIV drugs, you know that all of those would immediately get smacked with like right-wing drug approval challenges. Let me ask um, you let me ask you one question because mm-hmm. I know that one of the one of the issues with this line of legal reasoning is not only that a lot of, you know, quote unquote controversial, I mean, I don't like calling them controversial drugs, but, you know, ones that are going to get a lot of right wing freaks to come out of the woodwork, but that it also opens to litigation drugs that people may have a problem with for commercial reasons. There's Mm -hmm. a whole part of, of the sort of the pharmaceutical world where, you know, uh, I have one drug that I produce, you have another one. I say that maybe there's some intellectual property issues or I want one, you know, I want to bring out a generic. Is it is that also a, a relevant issue here that may sort of pause the courts here? Ones that aren't about, you know, again, controversial drugs, just that kind of every every drug imaginable might be open to just various kinds of, of commercial litigation. Yeah, for sure. And then even a step further, think about the chilling effect this would have on research and development, right? Like you're not going to try to develop a new birth control pill if part of that equation is going to be fending off lawsuits from, you know, anti-abortion groups for the rest of your life, which is why we've got, you know, our good friend Big Pharma basically coming out of the woodwork and saying this decision sucks. You have to get rid of it because our whole industry is premised on our understanding of of the FDA approval process and that once we kind of jump through the hoops to get then the agency done. approval, we're good. Yeah. Yeah. So that's where we're at now. And it's funny because uh, the White House has been really pushing. There's a, an amicus brief by all these like pharmaceutical execs making this case. And they've been really like, hey, reporters, look at this brief, you know, even big right. pharma's on our side. Um, so then the The piece of this that I'm really eager to talk about because I think it's fascinating and important is that we've had, and we've talked about on the show, Ron Wyden has been the one kind of spearheading this, but there have been some Democratic officials who are saying this was rigged from the get-go. You know, this case was planted with a right-wing judge governed by a right-wing appeals court. This 
isn't fair. This is corrupt. And the correct response is for the administration to ignore his inevitable ruling, getting rid of the FDA approval, and to keep the drug on the market regardless. And that boils down to the FDA having enforcement discretion and what drugs to go after that don't have its approval. You know, to say they get to pick this drug is dangerous and we don't approve it and we're going to go after it versus might not have our approval, but we're not that concerned about it as a risk. So, okay. So uh, to clarify, by going after, Mm -hmm. we mean that that in addition to the FDA's role approving or not approving drugs, it also has an enforcement role. That if mm-hmm. that if uh, drugs out there, we're going to come in and and um, you know take uh, either further court action or administrative action or uh, legal enforcement action. So so kind of right. what we're getting at here is that the FDA sort of wears two two hats. Mm-hmm. Like maybe okay, maybe you said we don't approve it now, but we're just going to kind of say we don't really care and not do exactly. anything. Right? Okay. So basically, uh, you know, I've been trying to kind of pin the White House down on this question. And they told me this week, um, you know, I asked, is the White House planning to, you know, ignore this ruling and any uh, higher court rulings holding it up and use the FDA's non-enforcement discretion to leave mifepristone on the market? And uh, a spokesperson told me, you know, no, we are in full support of the FDA's approval of mifepristone and we are prepared for kind of a lengthy legal battle. And so, you know, I got that answer and kind of tweeted it out because that was really the first they'd said about this question. And then I got chatting with some of the kind of reproductive law people that I chat with. And it's interesting because they are really bulking at this idea of, quote, ignoring the ruling. Um, In some ways, it's more of a rhetorical beef than anything else, because they're saying like that creates a sense of lawlessness, right? A sense of we're going to ignore, we're just disregarding court rulings that we don't like. And what would really be happening there is the FDA would be very aware of the court ruling, wouldn't be ignoring the court ruling. It would just be choosing to use that other hat, that other job, and to leave Mifepristone alone, even if it suddenly lacked this 20-year approval. And so they're trying to kind of uncouple these two ideas. Um, And so, which was a really good point, you know, so I kind of went back to the White House and tried to pin them down just on the, okay, let's leave the ignore thing alone, right? Are you kind of keeping your powder dry on the non-enforcement piece in case the legal stuff doesn't work out, you know? And uh, I, I wasn't really given an answer. They kind of redirected me to uh, the, the White House press secretary's um, briefing yesterday where she kind of dances around the question and uses what's been the administration line, which is there's an appeals process. We are committed to the fight, blah, 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 which I think is kind of the fact that they're not willing to clarify the distinction publicly, I think is kind of interesting and, and suggests to me that they're is probably a legal strategy going on here where you don't want to go into court and be on the record saying like, doesn't well, matter what it doesn't you say, matter what gonna, you say. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. But then also trying to kind of keep the non-enforcement thing in their back pocket if it comes to that. Um, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I mean, that's going to be the real question is they're also clearly putting eggs in the basket of the Supreme Court even the Supreme Court knows that this ruling is terrible and terrible far beyond an abortion context and is an upheaval of how legal procedure works. And I think they're kind of 
betting on that and just kind of crossing their fingers and hoping they can get this done through the legal avenues and like don't have to reach for the non-enforcement piece in the future. Yeah. I mean, obviously, you know, disregarding a court decision is a very loaded, for good reason, a very loaded uh, phrase. Um, And there are, we are getting to the point with the way the federal judiciary operates that I think some of that, I mean, we know some people are saying, just ignore it. This is not a legitimate decision. And on some of these, I'm getting close to that myself. But again, it's a very, it's a loaded, it's a loaded phrasing. Um, And people like the people who staff the Biden administration are for various reasons, most of them quite good, are not going to grab on to that phrasing. Because for, you know, I think for the for all the obvious reasons, but you know, what a court can actually enjoin is is open to a lot of interpretation. And I think the the proper calculus here is that when you have a court that is operating far, far out of its lane, that that gives you the legitimate right to really think long and hard about what it is actually able to enjoin you to do. And I think what we're saying here is, is that in theory, the, the, you know, it may be the case that this judge may be saying this drug can no longer have FDA approval. And that ruling may be backed up by the Fifth Circuit, and it may be backed up by the um, by the Supreme Court, but can they enjoin the FDA to go out and like start imprisoning people who who prescribe it? That's not that's not even on its face. It doesn't seem like that's the case. So I, I think that's where there's the you know you again when everyone else is playing hardball, you have the right to play hardball back. Um, and you know, this is a case where I think you say like, okay, let's maybe maybe try for another injunction where you we, where you take over our enforcement action. You know, have at it. Right, and some people are arguing that the Washington case kind of forces the FDA to use its non-enforcement discretion because the only way to square that circle is okay. You've got one court potentially taking away the FDA's approval of mifepristone, and then you've got another judge saying, but you've got to keep this judge drug available. Well, the only way to do both would be to keep an approval less mifepristone on the market in these states. So the the, the Washington state ruling, it mm-hmm. makes this decision, it makes this distinction between FDA approval and availability or like does does the Washington state decision basically say no 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 no, this is still approved. What are you talking about? Or d- does it get into that distinction? Not really. It just tells the FDA it has to maintain its status quo in terms of the restrictions the AGs don't like and the availability that it has currently. Now, the government lawyers filed again in Washington after the Texas case to say, dude, like, what are we supposed to do here? Can you clarify your order given this context? And they're asking for a response from the judge by Friday. Um, So, you know, and, and then the really like additional layer of complication here is that you've got in the Texas case, you've got the government 
very much against the the anti-abortion and the judge, right? Wanting to keep their approval of Mifepristone. And then in the Washington case, you've got the Democratic AGs versus the FDA. The FDA trying not to make the drug more accessible and fighting on behalf of their restrictions. And honestly, it's a complicating factor in this whole thing because the fact that the federal government for the last 20 years has been you know, Democratic and Republican administrations alike have been willing to keep these completely unnecessary and restrictive, uh, you know, guardrails on Mifepristone for no reason except being cowed by the anti-abortion lobby doesn't give them like a ton of kind of, uh, you know, moral uh, authority on this issue because they've kind of been fucking around with it for two decades. And, so and, it, it does complicate it a little bit. And so just to understand, the, the, the current status quo is basically, if you want this drug, you need to go in person to an abortion clinic, or uh, can you also just go to go to a gynecologist? Or what what is the level of specific expertise that the prescribing doctor needs to have? I understand the in person part of it. What is what is the what is the restriction on what kind of doctor can prescribe it? So you can actually you can get it through the mail as of January. Okay. Uh, the Biden administration lifted that part of the the um, REMS, but it's yeah you need to be like specially a certified kind of provider, and the AGs are saying. You've got people without these certifications who who do reproductive health, you know, who who can who know how to prescribe this drug. And the additional thing here, which just kind of lays bare how the FDA is being ridiculous, is that you can get mifepristone for Cushing's disease without any of these restrictions. The restrictions only apply when it's being used to treat abortion. So you can't really get a clearer cut picture of the fact that this is about the abortion, not the drug. Now, how about a, a number when when um, I wrote a post about this uh, several days ago in which, you know, very broad strokes post and I had a number of OBGYNs write in and say, this is not just about abortion. This is uh the precise technicalities are uh, beyond me, but basically, when you have a, a a partial miscarriage and it needs to be completed, is is do these restrictions also apply when the drug is used in that context? Yeah, they do. Okay, that's right. Uh, yeah, and I I've written some pieces about this, but it is it goes back to this idea that you can't abortion is not something that can ever just be like siloed off in a Planned Parenthood uh, clinic the way we like to imagine, you know, the treatment for uh, an elective abortion and a miscarriage are indistinguishable from each other. Uh, not to mention the fact that abortion plays into a lot of other uh, medical situations. You know, if you're a, a cancer patient and your decision is between getting chemotherapy or having your baby, it comes up in these contexts. But yeah, exactly. They do apply uh, in terms of, of miscarriage care as well, which is something that, you know, has been completely swept up in the wave of anti-abortion action. All of these bans, all of these restrictions are just going to make life so difficult for women trying to manage, you know, what is what's often a really tragic lost pregnancy situation. Now, two other questions I wanted to ask you about. Now, mm -hmm. one is I mentioned before that there's these these two drugs that are often used together. And my understanding yep. is the other drug can also be used and is fairly effective, not a, not affected by this ruling, but not as good. So what's the story with that drug? How like how how much can it sort of fill the fill the gap if there's some uh period where you can't get this main 
main drug. Right. So it's called uh, misoprostol and it has basically never been under lock and chain the way that mifepristone is because misoprostol is also often used to treat uh, ulcers. So it doesn't have the same A good men's disease. Stigma. Exactly, yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it doesn't have the stigma of being the abortion drug. Um and it does not have any restrictions from the FDA. Um, it's just, you know, normal, easily available kind of thing. And you can have misoprostol only abortions. It is, like you say, not quite as effective, but still like very, very effective by itself. It has more unpleasant side effects than when you use the two drugs in combination. But you do have some states that are kind of gearing up for the a misoprostol only regime. Um, I think it was Washington State. There was uh, a picture going around on Twitter of like giant pallets of misoprostol being brought in. They're like creating a stockpile to uh, prepare for a, a possibility of misoprostol getting yanked off the market. Um, so that is kind of the tentative plan B that's been in the works for a while, especially at, you know, abortion providers. Now, of course, the problem is if mifepristone gets yanked, gets really hard to get, where are anti-abortion groups going to go next, right? They're going to go to misoprostol and try to find uh, some anonymous blog posts of, of women getting carted to the the hospital based on a misoprostol only regime. So, it, you know, kind of a temporary patch at best. Now, just so so I can understand this, is is mm -hmm. the if if a a woman now wants a pharmaceutical abortion, is the default to prescribe these as a as a combination? Yeah. That's the that's the regimen. Mm -hmm. That's right. Now, the other question I wanted to ask is, and I, I think this possibly comes comes into the mix. There's one of the, you know, very conservative, very anti-abortion Supreme Court justices, I believe it's Gorsuch, who has this kind of separate issue of not liking when local judges issue these nationwide nationwide injunctions. So possibly right. that could come. What's what's the story? What's the story there? It's interesting because this creates some very odd bedfellows on the court. You've got Gorsuch who talks a lot about how he hates these nationwide injunctions coming from one district judge because, you know, as he, he basically delineated the situation that, that the right wing activists are using. You know, he says uh, you can just find one judge anywhere and get and like grind the federal government to a halt, which is exactly what's happening. But the funny thing is the D.C. Circuit kids hate that opinion because the D.C. Circuit is the one that deals with most of these agency challenges. So they kind of hand out nationwide injunctions like, you know, the phrase they always use is 15 times before breakfast. And that is uh, John Roberts. That's Katanji Brown Jackson and that's Brett Kavanaugh, who are all team nationwide injunction because that's basically what they spent their whole careers handing down. Um, now, isn't, so that, isn't that kind of brings to the fore that the the D.C. Circuit is not like the others or in practice? And that's right. kind of what they're getting at. This is how you they are sort of the it's not really a national circuit, but it kind of functions that way because of administrative rulings and stuff like that. Exactly. That's right. And, you know, obviously the question is, these people hold these beliefs in theory, right? I mean, remains to be seen if kind of Gorsuch's hatred of this setup would extend to uh, abortion rulings. But then, you know, while we're kind of talking about the court, just another thing to sneak in here is there's also a ban that just got 
uh, signed into law in Idaho, and it's the first of its kind in that it stops minors from crossing straight, uh, state lines to get an abortion without parental permission. So this is kind of the first crack at policing abortion across your own border. Um, and what's interesting about this is that in his Dobbs concurrence, Brett Kavanaugh wrote, this case brought up some other constitutional questions about abortion that I think are much easily, much more easily answered. And what he said explicitly is that, you know, interstate travel is protected by the Constitution, specifically interstate travel for abortion is protected. Um, and which is really interesting because this, you know, We've got all the pill stuff brewing, but this is going to be the other really big front in the abortion war is going to be red states trying to prosecute people who, you know, take people to get abortions and people who provide the abortions in other states if the patient comes from their state. And then you're going to have blue states. They're trying to pass these so-called shield laws that are saying within our borders, this is legal. It's legal in our state. It doesn't matter if, you know, the girl came from Idaho. It's legal here. And these two things, there's very thin case law about them. Um, there haven't, there's just like not been a lot. This is something reproductive scholars think is kind of little gray of an area. Um, so, you know, having... Kavanaugh's opinion there is pretty important because it it does he would be the kind of critical swing vote when this Idaho law inevitably gets to the Supreme Court or one like it. But that gives you if we if we take at face value what he said in that in that concurrence or uh, concurring right. con, ah, concurring opinion that still just gets you to four, right? Yeah, swing votes uh, plural. I guess right. we're also going to need like. So, I guess it would be Roberts, but yeah. So and and um, so on this on this Idaho law. So you know you have you have certain activists saying you know you can't leave our state. Want to have laws that just you basically make it like it's a different country. You can't leave this exactly. trapped here. But from what you said, they are. Um, it sounds like there's two issues that they're trying to kind of focus this a little tighter and sort of strengthen the legal position. If I understand it, they actually they aren't actually talking about when you cross the border, they're talking about actions in the state with a Correct. view to crossing the border. And exactly. then and then separately, minors in without the permission of their parents. And now minors are, you know, minors are a totally different issue legally. There's all sorts of things that minors can't do without their parents' permission that adults have, you know, a, a panoply of of a robust set of rights to do. So is that it, it I mean just not knowing the the legal issues, mm -hmm. the parental, the minors without parental permission, that sounds like that's something that may survive judicial review. Is that oh, well, what a people that piece yeah. is that's really common in anti-abortion regimes, um, needing you know to get basically a permission slip signed. Right, but it, but it but it often has has worked. It's often yeah yeah yeah. So yeah, just that's think, like yeah. pretty pretty omnipresent. Um, obviously, people have a whole host of problems with that, including in cases where you know there's rape, especially if it's uh, within the family kind right. of thing. But yeah, no, that piece is probably fine. The piece is the crossing the state lines, they're going to have a hard time because they're trying to, well, maybe they won't have a hard time when, when this case inevitably, you know, lands in Amarillo. But the idea being you're, they say, oh, this is, it's only for the, 
the duration of the time when they're in Idaho. But I mean, that almost creates a situation of like, you know, you're not shoplifting until you leave the store, even if you've got the stuff in your pockets. I mean, it's just it's tricky. And I've read the bill and it's or well, the law now it's like three pages long. I mean, it's just this is another in a series of kind of taking a handful of wet spaghetti and just seeing if it sticks, you know, trying out different stuff till they can figure out a regime that works. Well, I know that in, 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 in a functioning federal judiciary, and I don't know, you know, you, you, uh, legal academic types can, can let me know the different principle or stuff, but there, there's a kind of reasoning where, where the courts will say, look, you can talk about all this, you know, the idea you had, in Boise and that that was illegal because you thought you might go all this kind of stuff. But but the whole system breaks down if we start saying you can't cross state lines to kind of do anything, because that just that's not how it works. Our system is uh, people can just come and go and cross state lines, and do whatever the hell they want. And 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 you just can't start mucking that up. And that is the the sort of overriding principle that is going to trump whatever specifics you can get into about all these, you know, all, all these technicalities and stuff. Um, but is there any, is there any, what more can you tell us about what people expect with that law? It's, you know, Planned Parenthood, the kind of regional hub is already talking about challenging it. Um, it's the first one of its kind. So I would guess that it ends up being the vehicle for these uh, legal fights, even though, you know, it, it's kind of um, reminds me of the, you know, the Texas bounty, bounty hunter law, the first one about aiding and abetting, which is now everywhere. Like every abortion ban is basically written this way. Um, so, you know, we might see copycat laws. Uh, you know, we'll see. There's also kind of a an ongoing separate legal thing in Idaho because the uh, AG there wrote a legal opinion that the, uh, the dif- a different state abortion ban prevents uh, health care providers from even referring patients out of state to get abortion care. Planned Parenthood sued over that. I think he actually like retracted the opinion. So anyway, I'm sure there will be lawsuits. Uh, this question is one that's going to recur. Um, so these are kind of the big live ball issues on abortion right now. Yeah, I mean, and w- one thing just to remind everybody that, that you know, you're going to have some doctors who are going to grab onto the controversy and, and sort of run with it. But most doctors, when there is some non-trivial chance in my state, I'm going to lose my, you know, my medical license or even something that my insurance rates might skyrocket. Yes, you kind of want them to to do the right thing, but most people are just kind of people who that's their livelihood and if it seems like, oh man, maybe that maybe maybe there's going to be this ruling and I'll lose my they'll say okay, whatever. I'm just, you know, sorry. I, I wish I could do something, but I have a family to support. Um so yeah, these, these um, things throw a penumbra that is beyond what you might think. Totally. And we have seen hospitals in Idaho that are shuttering their labor and delivery departments because they don't want any piece of this. So, you know, it's now creating this effect they're calling um, maternity deserts where you just you can't get anyone to help you deliver a baby at all. So, yeah, you know, is, I guess this is going to come into conflict with, you know, the, I mean, half joking here, half not. But there's a whole part of the sort of Trumpite world, which is 
we're going to pay pay women to you know have abortion uh, not have not have abortions right to have you know they mm-hmm. want more babies they i mean they want more white babies but you know they they're, they're very big into we got to get the birth rate higher you know you want the birth rate high you need someone to deliver the babies this is just you know I'm not sure it's rocket science it's exactly. it's it's kind of calling it's it's obstetrics right um so yeah th- i think the last point we should get into is the the electoral political part of this, which is that by and large, even a lot of pretty hardcore anti-abortion, pol- you know, Republican politicians are kind of like, let's, you know, let's, can we slow this one down? This is not, this is not helpful. Totally. You put that tweet in your ad blog that I saw rocketing around, <laughs> but, um, you know, by this, what is he? Is he a, a Republican, like, uh, consultant or what you know the guy who puts in the warning call to other anti-abortion people oh wait i'm not i'm not i'm not okay i'm forgetting what we're you'll remember when i start talking about it but he basically he did a tweet thread this was right after the wisconsin supreme court election oh right right, 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 yeah like the you know he used the phrase pro-life the pro-life movement is uh in danger of going extinct i know you don't like to hear it but we're bleeding indies who think we want complete abortion bans which is like because you do want complete abortion bans. <laughs> yeah. um and so the only you know and then his solution which i it just cracks me up is so, so we need to like just swallow it and deal and get behind lindsey graham's 15-week national abortion ban which is funny on its face that he thinks they could come out with like, and now there's a nationwide, you know, early term abortion ban. And that's the compromise we're willing to strike. So come back women, start voting for us again. <laughs> right. This, this guy, the, the, uh, he's, he is, uh, it's, it's basically kind of like a Trumpite, um, think tank, uh, super PAC thing. I can't remember exactly what. Yeah. He's also affiliated with Claremont Institute. You know, he's policy director for that thing, right? So I guess not a consultant exactly, but, you know, one of the many people in the right-wing policy world. Um, and it was kind of striking because this guy, you know, hardcore uh, pro-life person and funny on a million levels because on the, I mean, you 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 develop an, a, a peculiar sense of, of funniness when when you're in our line of work, but you know, they kind of think it's over, we're dying here, and because they are kind of dying, they got crushed in that in that Wisconsin race, and that was supposed to be kind of like, are you know, Democrats thinking, are we going to win this? And and to your point too, like just to remind everybody, the thing that kind of queued up Dobbs was thinking like, okay. There, this one state's going for a 15-week ban. That's basically a ban, you know. And 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 is is the is the Supreme Court going to try to um, uh, you know c- carve out this meaningless distinction between overturning Roe and saying, okay, now you can do a 15-week ban? And now they're kind of saying, all right, the blue, you know, it, <laughs> this guy basically thinking. If we just agree on Lindsey Graham's 15-week national ban, all the blue state folks are like, okay, cool. We can compromise on that. Good enough. And, and, you know, but it it does show you that that this – and and you and I, we've talked about it on the pod a number of times that, uh, you know, it's it's one of these – it's one, you know, I, I use the analogy 
it's certainly not a perfect one because there are more people in this country who support abortion bans than support defunding the police. Although defund is a very squishy term, what exactly it means. But it's it's similar in this sense. Imagine a scenario in which defund the police wasn't something that a lot of activists were talking about two, God, almost three years, almost three years ago, almost mm-hmm. three years ago now. Um, but imagine it was the official position of the Democratic Party. Defund the police. Take all the funding away from the police departments and up the ante more. Imagine there was a – so Republicans wouldn't have to lie about it being what Democrats support. Um, and imagine up the ante more and saying, imagine there were a Democrat-packed Supreme Court that kept that kept taking uh, that kept taking up cases and sa- and going around and defunding police departments. You know, if if you're a Democrat, you're just like stop this, stop this, stop this right now. Um, but that's where they are because this is you know the the, the court system. Um, uh, they just keep upping the ante, and even though this is um, you know this is something that. Uh, Republicans notionally support, they want it to at least slow down. Let it, let it just, just, okay, we did it. Stop trying to up, you know, up the ante. Right. Which you can tell by the resounding silence from Republican officials after the Caxmeric decision came down versus the Democrats, who I think every single elected official alive sent out a statement you know, decrying it, condemning it, saying how much it's going to to hurt women. This, I mean, you're right. It really is a situation where the dog caught the car, you know, accepting those who are just totally zealots and don't care about anything else past that point. Pretty much everyone else involved is like got a finger to the electoral wind. And they know that this has been going really badly for them for quite a long time. And the well of badness is just absolutely endless because these stories are going to keep coming out. Anti-abortion activists are going to keep pushing for no abortion anywhere, you know, and this and these state legislatures, especially in places that are so gerrymandered that they're full of just like total right wing nuts are just going to keep pumping out these crazy bans. And it is just a matter of time before we get them that are criminalizing the women getting the abortions and not the kind of orbit of people around her. And and not only that threshold, but stuff that basically makes it so, you know, for now, there's all sorts of exceptions and threats and everything. But for right now, if you were in a, 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 a thoroughly blue state, you can think like, okay, you know, sucks to be you if you live in Alabama, but this is not affecting my rights in New York, in Illinois, in California, in, you know, <laughs> Washington State, you know, all, all these different things. But that can change. That can change. And, and the other part of that is that if you are, you know, you may be a uh, you know wealthy business Republican GOP donor type living in Texas. You say, yeah, my daughter can fly to Virginia. My my you know my 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 wife can go to California. Whatever, right? You know, it's, it's inconvenient, but not the end of the world. So that all starts having this. You know, it it plays out in the weirdness of our of the geographical underpinnings of our politics. That suddenly yeah. a different a different group of people start thinking like okay this is starting to affect me now enough 
enough. You've done enough. Right. Um, we're going a little long, but I think it's fine. Uh, let's let's talk briefly about the the Tennessee ousters. This kind of you know talk about right wing nuts in uh, in state legislatures. What you had here was, you know, I'm sure we've had about 18,000 mass shootings since then, but we had the school shooting in Nashville that killed six people, including three children, and there were protests at the Tennessee State House. And what happened is basically you had these three lawmakers, you know, join in, lead, kind of participate in the protest, lead chants from the House floor, uh, that kind of thing. And then Rather than having the Republican Tennessee gerrymandered supermajority maybe just kind of see this and think like, okay, okay, you know, I don't like it, but but that's what happens. They instead decided to bring down the iron fist of expelling or bringing to a vote to expel the three lawmakers who uh, kind of participated in the protest. Ultimately, to make the look even worse for themselves, they ended up expelling the two black men and not the one white woman, which was really just kind of cherry on top of the situation. And these people all kind of like hail from the, you know, the metro areas of Tennessee, the Nashville, Memphis, the kind of little blue pockets. And so basically what happens now is for the two guys, uh, one is Nashville, one is Memphis, but their city councils like appoint an interim rep uh, to fill the seat. And they appointed both of these guys back to fill their seat on an interim level. And then they're going to have to run in a special election to get their seat back while the outraged country looks on and donations pour into the house races for these two young guys who have been uh, projected onto a national stage, uh, you know, kind of headlined all the cable TV news and got a bigger megaphone than they ever possibly could have dreamed to talk about gun reform and the violence, uh, you know, being brought against children. It's, it's a, it's very striking on 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 many fronts. I mean, look to to um, give the other side its due. These three disrupted the proceedings that day. You know, okay, that that's that's not nothing, right? Um, I see it as I see the proper analog as like to civil disobedience, right? Sometimes you go into a you know to put to put a little edge on it, you go into a Woolworths and 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 have a sit in at the you know, at the at the diner, and what happens? You get arrested. That's 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 part of the plan, right? Um, and so, in this case, I, I keep pointing out to people back in 2016, John Lewis led a group of Democrats who did a sit-in on the House floor in the federal in the federal House of Representatives. Um, they refused to leave. Eventually, almost uh, almost all. Um, uh, you know, almost all the Democrats ended up participating at some level. It went on, um, it, you know, it, it, it went on for a day, whatever. You know, Paul Ryan was 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 the uh, speaker at the time. And he faced the question of, um, you know, do I get the do I get the sergeant of arms to drag them out? Right. And, you know, Paul Ryan is many things. He's not a complete fucking moron. So it was obvious to him, you know what? I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to have the sergeant of, of arms dragging 70-something John Lewis off the House floor because I'm not a fucking idiot, 
right? Okay, so it goes on for a day. There were some calls for punishments and stuff like that. Nothing, there were no punishments, whatever. It kind of just moved along. A, a, a parliamentary body in a case like this has all sorts of options. You can have a financial penalty, like you dock wages for a week or there's a fine or something like that. You can have a reprimand. You can have a censure, you know, vote where the, they have to stand there and feel bad and or not feel bad as 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 the case may be and all all that kind of stuff. And frankly, because because you are the because you are the house and you and you are a law unto yourself, you can create a double censure or a triple censure. You can do whatever the fuck you want, right? And and I think it would have I, um, it seems obvious to me that if they would have said we are passing an official reprimand for your terrible behavior, disrupting this body's proceedings that afternoon and probably they probably would have even gotten some Democrats to support it. And no one ever would have paid any attention and whatever. But they did this, which that's a big deal and the you know the other you know in in this whole um in this whole drama um there's this there's a there's a very very obvious racial dynamic playing out here there's also a generational dynamic playing out here um tennessee's in in our modern politics tennessee's already a pretty conservative state but as with so many of these states, they have also gerrymandered the hell out of the state where basically it's like four to one, right? It's just over – Republicans have totally unassailable power. And one of the weird things – weird, funny in that in that our line of work way, there have been all these other – the confrontation between – the Republic, white Republican grandees who run that house and these two guys goes back even in the case of 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 uh, of just I, I get I, I always get the Justin the, Jones, Justin Jones, both the both first name Justin. So it gets, it gets a little complicated. Um, Justin Jones, who is the one who's from Nashville. So Nashville's the capital. He's from Nashville. Nashville's where the, uh, the the mass shooting was. He's been jousting with these guys from back when he was just an activist in, in Nashville before he was even elected. And if you look at, you know, e each time there's a question of like, well, he had a uh, Justin Jones had this kind of, you know, interaction with this with this guy in the house. And and Justin Pearson had this guy. And there's the next paragraph is always said, and that guy, you know, was uh had an earlier case where he beat up his wife and had to plead out to blah, 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 or had an earlier case where he was caught sexting with this person. You know, like, like, all these guys have these have these scandals in their past. And someone brought up, um, there There was, I, I don't want to misstate the exact thing, but I think even last year, this one guy was, well, I, there's so many of these cases. I they 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 roll together in my head but uh the, some other guy had some really pretty bad sex scandal and i don't mean sex scandal like you had you had an affair like bad stuff and then they made him head of a committee like okay you know no one's perfect <laughs> so they have all these cases of these really bad things no one gets no one ever gets kicked out you can beat up your wife you can you can do all sorts of crazy stuff and you don't kicked out but this thing, and like I said, there's there's a, there's a big kind of um, push from a lot of people on the left. You know, decorum is a way to is a 
is a way to keep power in power. And there's some truth in that. There's also reasons why in most legislative bodies you do this like the honorable gentleman, the honorable, you know, there's all this kind of stuff. They disrupted the house. Maybe some sanction is in order, but they kind of, they couldn't help themselves. And now they're, now it's this big national thing, right? Yeah. And you've got these guys kind of re-airing all the dirty laundry of the lawmakers for, you know, a national audience that might not have known about it before. Yeah. And again, it's one of these things like when you, when you control things three to one, you can beat up your wife. You can, you can, you can, you can commit all sorts of sex crimes and it's, you know, bygones will be bygones. You can kind of do anything. And that's kind of, you can, I mean, obviously I am, this is uh, you know, gallows humor here, but my point is that when you have this much political power concentrated, when there are no checks on anything you do, that you can have people who do not only do terrible things, but get caught doing terrible things, and it doesn't matter because they're in charge. Um, and so, yes, it, it, it has led to um, uh, all of this stuff being aired. And you kind of, one thing I noticed, you know, you and I talked about, I don't know, 10 pods ago. It would be good to have, uh, and I think, I think you maybe even, someone flagged this to us on Twitter or something. It would be great to have a, a, a you know, numerical um, you know, non-subjective score, how, how does democracy function in different states? And someone flagged to us on Twitter that, you know, some gaggle of political scientists somewhere has put together this list and Tennessee is like the lowest. Tennessee's where nothing works, right? Where elections don't matter anymore. So, you know, um, and, and the thing about expelling the two under 30 black men and not the... I, I don't know her age, but, you know, probably my age, white woman, um, is just like you can kind of you can sort of imagine in that case the totally cynical Republican consultants who maybe are, are, are OK with all the all the bad stuff in substance are kind of like, can you not do that? <laughs> can you help yourself? Just kick out the white woman. This is like, you know, it's why, you know, why? Why the own goal here? But they couldn't help it. They couldn't help it. And there you go. Yeah. Just the need to stifle any dissent is stronger than even any kind of political savvy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah. You know, you just just like, you know, doing the Democrats job for them. Right. Right. Simple as that. Well, uh, really quick before we wrap, you kind of you said it in the intro and there's not a ton more to say, but, you know, Bob Casey uh, formally announced his run this week. Uh, The only kind of reason that I think it was maybe a little bit in doubt is that he had announced that he had a prostate cancer diagnosis earlier this year, though he's since undergone surgery and doesn't expect to need any further treatment. Um, But I really liked the the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette's write-up of his run because they had this line that, um, you know, behind closed doors, Republicans uh, think that Casey will be very hard to beat. Some Republicans admit that it's impossible. So <laughs> it kind of gives you a sense like, you know, Casey comes from a lineage. His his dad was a, a Pennsylvania governor and actually the Casey and uh, Planned Parenthood versus Casey. But you also have 
you know, I was kind of looking back at all his his Senate runs. He has smoked every time by like double digits. It hasn't even been close. Um, you know, he's never, he hasn't been in a competitive election in like decades. And he's just kind of this, you know, he's nice. He's mild mannered. He's uh, the only kind of weird thing about him was the anti-abortion thing, which he's kind of totally become a mainstream kind of Democrat moon, on. Moonwalked back from, from yeah. yeah, abortion of opposition to abortion. Um, exactly. Yeah. No, he, Bob Casey is sort of like, you know, he, he's sort of like the dad joke of politicians, yeah, exactly. right? He's, 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 he's very genial, kind of goofy in a, in a, in a, in a positive way. And he just has a kind of a way of, of, you know, his dad was, it was overstated, the degree to which he was kind of written out of the Democratic Party because of his position on abortion. But that would not fly today. He would not be able to operate uh, as an elected official in the Democratic Party. Um, but the dad, what was it? There was some, the, I'm sorry, the son, there was something, maybe it was after there were, maybe it was after the 2022 election. He put up some video. I can't remember the context. It was like him doing a, uh, God, I'm spacing on his math. Name. Are you talking about? No, math, oh. but more like I, th this guy. I've, 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 I've followed for years. So this is totally my just weird name thing. You know, the guy, the, the MSNBC guy with the with the whiteboard. Um, who I'm just oh, Kornacki. Yeah, Kornacki, kind of doing a Kornacki about some election da, 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 with a little marker That's... and everything. And then it was kind of one of these things where it was. For another politician, it would have been that's a little too electoral, a little too, a little too partisan. But somehow, with his kind of goofiness, and I'm, again, I say that in a in in the most positive sense of the word. Uh, even probably like a lot of Republicans in this day could look at him like, I love Bob Casey. He's good yeah, people. It's, it's so aggressively dad. He yeah. sets up his map on his easel in his living room <laughs> and like teaches you about Bucks County. You know, it's I guess just, that was it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. that's his thing. Um, and then what's funny is you've got the Republican side kind of it's just redoing this cycle that we're seeing over and over again, which is the genuine pressing problem of how to find someone who can win a Republican primary and not get smoked in the general. Yeah. And, you know, their kind of best option that they have so far to maybe potentially run against Bob Casey is David McCormick, who our listeners will remember as being the hedge fund manager who got beaten by Dr. Oz last primary around, even though he sunk like a bajillion of his own dollars into the race. So that's kind of Republicans top tier prospect at the moment. And they are having to kind of give him all these promises of like, you'll have the full support and backing of the Republican Party. And then meanwhile, you've got our old friend Doug Mastriano on the side telling outlets that he's going to run, um, who, you know, we'll remember is, is the Christian nationalist nutcase who got, you know, crushed, demolished crushed. by Josh Shapiro in the governor's race and who was kind of blamed for the just torpedoing the Republican ticket in Pennsylvania overall. So not not looking Terrific for the Republicans in the old Keystone state. Yeah, and just and just as a reminder to people, even if you assume, even if Republicans assume, look, we're going to lose, we're not going to, we're not going to beat Bob Casey. You still need a solid candidate because if your if your Senate candidate gets crushed, that can bring down some House some house races uh too and all sorts you know all sorts of local all all kinds of stuff that it's not just a matter of like okay we're gonna lose we're gonna we're nominate some total freak and whatever uh that has a senate race you know t 
top of the ticket race can have, um, you know, implications uh, way beyond the particular race that you're talking about. So we have gone uh, way over. Um, but you know, the quality is such that you're not going to be complaining, <laughs> I hope. Uh, but we're oh, uh, run a little long on time. But uh, I guess that kind of covers it for this week. Anything else we need to yeah. go over? All right. No, well, uh, just quick reminder, Josh Marshall podcast brought to you by Grady's Cold Brew Ice Coffee. You get 25% off your order using the promo code TPM. And again, that is uh, Grady's Cold Brew.com. And that's it for us this week. All right. Talk to you soon. Later. The Josh Marshall Podcast is hosted by me, TPM reporter Kate Riga, and TPM founder, editor-in-chief Josh Marshall. The show is produced by Jackie Wilhelm. Thanks to Why Not Jansfeld for our podcast theme song, and thanks to all our TPM members who make this possible. Rate and review us on Apple Podcasts, and subscribe wherever you listen.